Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church again. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, and I saw a couple new faces, um, we want to meet you, connect you to what God's doing through our church family, even on a, a weekend like July 4th. Uh, there's things going on. We're going to go to lunch after this at DeSoto Central Market, and um, I'm going to go with my family, and so we might be eating by ourselves, or we can eat with you guys. And so uh, feel free to come hang out with us after church today and connect with some other people. We're going to talk about that a little bit, what it looks like to partner in the gospel. And so I'm excited to do that with you. I want you to grab a Bible. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, go ahead and head there, and as you do, uh, we're going to jump right in. We have some kids in our service today. Uh, we have a family-style service this morning, and we do that for a couple reasons. One is we want your kids to ask you really difficult questions. Uh, about things they hear on a Sunday morning. Also, we want uh, to give our kids ministry volunteers a break. Uh, all these guys volunteer, our director volunteers, we have a team of people who volunteer, and so every once in a while we want to give them a break. And so if you're new, uh, we don't always do a family service, but uh, today we are, and it should be a lot of fun. We'll keep the message a little bit shorter, I think. And so let's pray for that together. Father in heaven, I thank you for these men and women that are here today. I thank you that they're a people that you love, that you died for, that you live for. God, I thank you that they're here this morning, and I pray for these few moments around your word that you would comfort us. God, that you would convict us, that you would change us, that you would do that for me, that you would do that for the men and the women in this room, and that you would do that by your grace, through the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. Well, as we look at Colossians 2, and as I was thinking about what to preach on today, we're in between series, and so it kind of gives us an opportunity just to address something in our church, and, and just for me as your pastor, just to kind of speak life into you. Uh, and as I was reading through the book of Colossians this week, I just saw this great picture of a passionate partnership that took place between the Apostle Paul and through the Colossians. And as I was reading through it, I just thought, man, that's so applicable to us. We're nine months into this thing as a new church. I was talking to a guy recently who is getting ready to start a church in our city. And he was like, hey, what would you tell me? What's the biggest thing that you've learned in getting a church off the ground? Like, what would you tell me to do? And I just said, man, I don't know. We're only nine months in. Like, I don't know if you want to ask me that question, right? Uh, I'll tell you in five years. Um, but I thought about it, and there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things we've learned, a lot of things that have been beneficial. But the one thing I told them was, man, you want to see passionate partnership. Like, you want to see people who are so blown away by Jesus and how he has reconciled them that they want to see that happen in the lives of others. They want to see Christians mature in their faith. They want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Like, you want to see a passionate partnership. You want to see a people band together to commit to that, to persevere in that, because it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. You're going to pray through that. You want to see people who partner around that. Like, you don't have to have the people with the most education. You don't have to have people that have their other lives together. But you need a passionate partnership. If people are apathetic about their faith, about the gospel, it's not going to work, right? And so that's what I told him. And he was like, I'll go try to do that, I guess. How does that happen? You're not, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's happened in our church these first nine months. Uh, we need more of that to continue as a healthy, sustaining, fruitful church in the mission of God. 
But that's what I want to talk about this morning and flesh out as we see a picture of what that can look like in Colossians chapter 2. And so look at the verse with me. We'll start in verse 1. It says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he uses this word struggle. How great a struggle. It's this idea of contending for. So if you know much about Colossians, a little bit of background. A guy named Epaphras actually started this church and another church in a city called Laodicea. And Paul's never actually met these people face to face. But yet he's writing this letter to say, listen, I'm struggling for you. I'm contending for you. I I have this angst within me to see you succeed. So right before this passage at the end of chapter 1, Paul says he wants to present the Colossians mature in Christ. So that's his goal. From afar, he wants to present them mature in Christ. And we see here he has a struggle for that, an angst for that, a contending for them in that. It would be like a parent contends for their children to see them succeed. So I have three kids, and man, I want all of them to succeed, even the littlest one who's two months old, right? She's doing tummy time on the bed. I want to see her get her head up. You know, I want to see her learn how to do that and get stronger. And so much so that I'll get on the bed next to her and I'll lay down next to her and I'll be like, Tanavi, this is how you do it. You you hold your head up like you, you can do it. And I won't even realize that I'm looking like an idiot because I want her to succeed, right? As as Paul is writing to the Colossians, that's what he's feeling for them. That's why he calls it a great struggle, because he desperately wants them to succeed so that he can present them mature in Christ, that he has an angst for them, even though he's not with them in person. From afar, he has this deep desire, this contending for, this struggle for the Colossians, and he describes that. There's a partnership that's taking place there. I was talking to some people recently in our church, and we just talked about how we need this kind of partnership in our lives. And we talked about how sometimes in our life and sometimes some seasons of our life that we've had that. And we talked about how amazing it's been when we had people contending for us, when we were contending for others and struggling and partnering with others, how amazing that was for our own spiritual lives, how we grew in those seasons of our life. And we also talked about how that does, does, doesn't just happen, right? Like some of you are thinking, even as we get started in this passage, like that kind of struggle, that kind of angst for someone else, I mean, that's hard. Like maybe you've never actually experienced that. Maybe you're here today and you're part of our church, but you feel like that doesn't really describe my relationships with other believers. And some of you are thinking, that's hard. I don't know how I would experience that. And we talked about that. Like me and this group of people from our church, we talked about it is hard. It doesn't just happen, but it's worth it. In every season of our life where we've sacrificed and struggled for others to experience what Paul is describing here, that it's always been this beautiful struggle that's worth it, that's worth committing our lives to. And so maybe if you're here this morning, you're thinking about this idea of struggling for one another. You're thinking about this idea of contending for one another. And if you're honest, the first thing that comes to your mind is, yeah, who can do that for me? Right? Like, who's going to come alongside me? Like, i got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Who's going to contend and struggle for me? Where's my Paul? And what I would say to you and challenge you this morning is to wrestle with, as you look at this passage, 
Not who can contend for me, not who can struggle for me, but who can I struggle for? You have the same Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul had, right? Sometimes we get that confused. We see Paul as superhuman. God definitely did an incredible work through his life. But you have everything you need for life and godliness because you have Jesus, you're in him, and you have the Holy Spirit. And that you would begin, even this morning, to think about who can I contend for? Not just who can do that for me, that we would wrestle with that. And I think most of us, if we look at that, we think, well, Tim, I don't have time. I mean, I need to get this in order in my life first. I mean, I need to get these finances, this job in order first. Why do we respond that way? I mean, maybe that's how you're thinking right now. Maybe you're already checked out. You're just like, yeah, this is, this is great, but I got a lot of stuff going on in my family. I got a lot of stuff going on physically, emotionally. I can't contend for others, have this deep angst struggle for others to mature in their faith. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Why do we respond that way? You ever think about that? I think it's because two reasons. I think one of them is we think that we'll look stupid. Like we think if we sacrifice for somebody else, if we come alongside somebody else in word or deed to struggle for them in the gospel, that we think, what if they don't receive me? What if that's not reciprocated? And what if I look stupid? The other reason I think we don't do this is we think, as we look at contending for one another, we, th- we wonder, like, maybe I'll lose something. Like, I do have all these things in my life, and if I start contending for others, like, maybe I won't have time for myself. Maybe I'll, I'll get left hung out to dry. Maybe I won't grow physically, spiritually, emotionally, and maybe everybody else around me will flourish. But I won't, because I'm always pouring out for others. And maybe you're thinking about those reasons. I think that's a lot of us in this room. But if you think about it, it's like breathing, right? It's like breathing. If you only inhale, right? If you just inhale over and over, right? What's going to happen? You're going to pass out, right? (laughs) I mean, I can't demonstrate that for you, because I don't want to pass out in front of you. If you only inhale over and over, you just keep inhaling, you keep consuming the air in front of you for yourself, what's going to happen? You're going to suffocate. You're going to pass out. It's not going to go well for you. So what do we need to do when we're breathing, right? We need to inhale and we need to exhale. We need to inhale, exhale, right? It's the same way in the Christian life. Listen, if you find yourself only inhaling, all the time, consuming sermons, notes, podcasts, words and demonstrations from other people. If you only find yourself inhaling, you will suffocate spiritually. It will not be for your good. You won't lose out by exhaling. That's where you get life. I mean, that's where we get life is we breathe in physically and we breathe out. We not only get life, we give life. Right? That's the way it's designed, and that's spiritually in the community of faith, in the church. That's the way God designed it, that you would struggle for one another, and people would struggle for you. You would inhale, and you would consume all these things, and you would come to church, and you would listen to great sermons, and you would take notes in the Bible as you read it, and you would listen to podcasts, and other people would come alongside you and bring you a meal when you're struggling. And they would care for you, and they would speak words of encouragement, and they would mentor, and they would disciple you, but it wouldn't stop there, that you would begin to exhale that towards other people in your life. 
And you won't lose something in that. You'll gain something. You'll get life, and you'll give life. Because that's the way God designed it. And that's what Paul is describing here. It's a struggling for one another. The Wall Street Journal, I read an article recently. It talked about how new research suggests that even if you enjoy being by yourself, does anybody enjoy being by themselves? Even if you are that person kind of introverted, even if that's you, that coming alongside others in relationship can extend your life. This is a secular article. It has nothing to do with Christianity. But people are saying, man, if you come alongside others, as they come alongside you, that that's healthy for you in your life. How much more should a people who have been reconciled by Jesus because he has struggled on our behalf? He's contended for us. He went to the cross for you. How much more should we see the health and struggling for one another as Christians? How much more should we sacrifice and partner towards that end? So Paul is talking about this struggling. And he says in verse 2, look at verse 2, what we should struggle for, what he struggles for for the Colossians. He says a couple things. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Look at the verse. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first couple of things he mentions there is encouragement and unity, being knit together in love. Paul is saying that we need to be a unified people who encourage one another. A few years ago, my wife and I joined this uh, boot camp workout. You had to pay a membership. It was, it was a group of people that got together. We had a few trainers out there, and we would do these intense hour workouts without any breaks. Uh, it was the only time I've really been in shape in my life. But it was amazing. And what was amazing about it was they were so encouraging, right? Like during the week, they were encouraging. They would send me texts. They would send me a text and be like, Tim, I hope your week's going well. I hope you're eating right. And I wouldn't be, and I'd feel convicted. And they'd be like, well, see you next week. And I would think about not going, but I would get this text and I'd be like, well, I gotta go. Like trainer Brandon is inviting me to go. Like I gotta go. Like he'd, he'd be so encouraging. And then I would show up at the workout. And I would be doing burpees, and I would feel like a, an idiot, right? And he would come alongside me and be like, Tim, you're looking so strong right now. Like, keep it up. Let's go, buddy. And I'm just like, really? I'm strong? Like, I need to work out more often. Like, this is, this is amazing. Like, it was so encouraging. And listen, with kids and work, like, most of the time, my biggest decision is should I sit down and do nothing or should I lie down and do nothing? I don't enjoy working out. But in this season, because of these guys being so encouraging, it transformed my view of physical fitness. Right? I wanted to work out. I wanted to go. I wanted to be a part of this because I was being encouraged, because people were cheering me on, because I knew that people were for me. Listen, as we contend for one another and encourage one another, as we encourage their hearts, as Paul talks about, Amazing things happen. And listen, as we look at encouragement, I, I think for most of us, encouragement feels unnatural. Like maybe some of you have the spiritual gift of encouragement, and so for maybe you, it just comes natural. But I think for most of us, if we think about encouragement, it feels kind of lame, right? Like the only way we think about encouragement is like, great job out there, Jimmy. And we don't think about like, how, how can we do it in a genuine way? Like how does it look 
in a genuine way. And, and I think as I thought about it in my life and as you look at Scripture, man, just simple things can encourage other people as we contend for them. Like listening. Like listening is an art. Like a simple word or phrase. The power of presence. The ministry of presence. Just going to encourage somebody by sitting next to them. As I talk to people in our church, people that have connected with us over these last few months, some of you are here in this room. As you tell me, like, as I'm like, why are you here? Like, how did you come to Phoenix Bible Church? And they're always something to the effect of somebody invited me. Maybe I found it online, but when I came and people encouraged me, they invited me to something. Even if it was just to a meal, they invited me to their community group. They spoke a word of encouragement in my life and a hardship. And that's why I'm here today. Like, not the amazing sermons, not like the... Um, the ways I can gain leadership positions or status in this church. No, I mean, it was people coming alongside me, struggling for me, and encouraging me in my faith. Somebody in our church I was talking to a meeting with recently, and she was just talking about how everything in her life has fallen apart. There's just everything you can imagine, moving and roommates and all kinds of stuff. Everything just seemed in disarray. And she was talking about that, and I was like, just listening. And I told her, um, because this happened, I told her, like, Hey, a couple days ago, I was talking to this couple in our church, and they actually mentioned you, and they mentioned how much they love you, and they mentioned how much they want to encourage you, and how they're for you, and just how they're trying to help you process all these chaotic things in your life, and all this disarray, and help you execute decisions in your life, and they just mentioned they have kids, but they just mentioned they are for you. She just broke down crying. Just even at me saying that, that, these other people were coming alongside to contend for her, to encourage her. And you could begin to see as I was talking to this girl that her perspective shifted, right? Her perspective shifted because that's what encouragement does. Encouragement shifts the conversation from what is to what if. Like encouragement shifts the conversation from what is to what if. Like relationships are hard. Right? Work is unfulfilling. Things aren't working out like I'd hoped. That's what is. But what if? Like, what if in those relationships, God is trying to mold you and shape you into his image? Like, what if you could see this with a different lens and put on the lens of God and see, what is he trying to teach me through these hardships? What if? Like, we look at so many things in our life of, like, this is what is. Like, this is what is in my family that's not working out. This is what is in my life and my internal struggle with sin that's not working out like I'd hoped. This is what is in my life that just looks chaotic right now. But what if some people came around you to say, what if? Like, what if? And you've experienced that before as you've matured in your faith. Like, Paul is wanting to present the, present the Colossians. Like, I want to present you. Like, we should want to present others mature in our faith in Christ. The biggest way that happens is when we come alongside one another and we, we say, what if? What if this is happening? And what if you just don't see it right now? And what if your current sacrifice is going to lead to a miracle? And you just hang on. You persevere. We lock arms to see that together. It's encouragement. It's a struggling for that. The second thing we see to struggle for is knowledge and wisdom. In verses 2 and 3, Paul talks about this true knowledge in Christ. 
where we find all other knowledge and wisdom. What Paul is saying is that everything you need to know that has been made known in Christ, everything you need to know about life, we can look to Jesus Christ. If you wonder what God is like, listen, if you wonder what God is like, you don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. Read the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. Earlier in Colossians 1, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know what that means? It means Jesus describes what God is like. Like he shows us what God is like. And so we see all the wisdom and knowledge of God in the life of Jesus. And as Christians, as we contend for knowledge and wisdom in our lives and the lives of others, we don't just retain that knowledge. We don't just use it for Bible study trivia. We don't just use it to impress our friends. We don't just retain it up here. We live it out. It works itself out to our hands that that's wisdom. Right? Wisdom is not just the acquisition of knowledge. It's the application of it. And so as we contend for that, how does that happen? How do we contend practically for knowledge and wisdom by looking at Jesus? First, you need to do what some of you are doing right now. You need to write stuff down. There's all kinds of studies, and they debate this. I was going to reference one, but there was so much debate on who was right and who was wrong. But the consistent thing was we don't get a lot of the stuff we just read. We don't retain a lot of the stuff we just hear. That practically, as we contend for wisdom and knowledge, we need to write stuff down. So as you come to church, I want you to bring your Bible. If you're new to this church thing and you need a Bible, we'll give you one. We want you to open your Bible, look at it for yourself, write notes, go back to that, study it with your family, study it with your friends, study it with your coworkers. We want you to do that so you can contend for knowledge and wisdom in your life. And then the second way, practically, that we want to see this work out in our church and in your life is we want to see you teach other people. Articulate these truths that you're learning to other people. How many times in your life has it happened where you're talking to somebody and they have a hard question for you, you're talking to somebody who's going through a difficult time, and you think, man, there's a verse that speaks to this. And maybe you've heard that verse a thousand times. But in that moment, as you're trying to encourage someone else, as you're trying to challenge someone else, you're just like, the best you got is just like, I think somewhere in the Bible it says. Doesn't it say something? Doesn't God talk about that? (laughs) And you can't come up with it because you've never taught it to someone else. And you just sit and you absorb in church and you read your scriptures and you listen to podcasts and you read blogs and you think like, I got this. Like it's all up here. But you've never imparted that wisdom, that knowledge to someone else. We need to contend for that. We need to impart that and execute that in our relationships with other people. Because if we don't, we can be easily deceived. We can be easily deceived. And that's what Paul says in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, it says, I say this, Paul says this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. What that means is this. When it talks about deluding, it means to deceive. In the original language, it's in the context of a courtroom. It would be like the most stunning, stellar, brilliant lawyers presenting a persuasive argument. And so as I thought about that today, I just thought, man, what is that for us today? What are those stunning, stellar, persuasive arguments that are tempting for us? Right? This isn't just things like Jesus is a cucumber, Like, you should believe that. That's not what he's talking about here. It's like tempting things, things that you're plausible, that you would believe, that are persuasive. And as I thought about that in our culture today, I mean, I just thought about a few things. The first one, in image and appearance, you will find success. The second one, if you spend all of life 
chasing after pleasures, you will find joy. The third one, if you compare yourself to others and long after acceptance, you'll be fulfilled. And how many times do we see those arguments play out in our life and we buy in? Like we give in to that. I mean, it's like fast food commercials. I'm a sucker for fast food commercials, specifically Taco Bell. I know it's disgusting. I'm sorry. Um, but I'll see a Taco Bell commercial and their latest entree, and I'll just go to Jay and I'll be like, we got to go. Pack the kids up. We got to go try that thing out, right? I'm like, how do they shape a cheese Dorito chip into a taco? I mean, that's just beautiful. How does that happen, right? And so we'll go to Taco Bell, and what happens, right? I go up to order, and I order it, and I'm really excited, and they bring it out, and it just looks like something out of a squirt gun, right? And it's just, it's disgusting, right? And it's deceptive, and as alluring it looked like on TV. It doesn't look like that in person, right? You've known this if you went to Taco Bell, right? It doesn't happen that way. Listen, as you look at your life, as you look at the lives of others, every morning when you wake up, there are things that deceive you. As you watch the news, as you watch Good Morning America, as you listen to the radio, as thoughts go through your own head from your sinful flesh, you can be deceived. And they will be alluring, tempting thoughts. There'll be thoughts like, man, if you just commit this act of lust, man, it's going to bring pleasure and it's going to bring some escape and provide some rest for you. If you just look at your Facebook newsfeed and, and you think, man, I just want to compare myself to other people and look how great their vacation is and look how great their house is and look how great their life is and you begin to compare yourself to others, it feels right and you can be deceived. As you go out and you talk with your coworkers and it seems so easy to slip into gossip and slander and you just think, well, they're talking about it like I had to give my opinion. I mean, lying's a sin. I can't lie, so they asked me. And, I, and so I began to join in this gossip. And it seems right at the time. It seems good, and it seems awesome. And you want to go try it, like the latest entree at Taco Bell. And it's deceiving. Right? It's not going to look like it did on TV. It's not going to turn out the way you thought. It's a plausible argument that you can be deceived by. And listen, you are hit with this every single day. What is that for you? What is that for you? You need to think about that. You need to think about how am I tempted by plausible arguments and how can I combat that with the knowledge and the wisdom of Jesus? It's going to be a daily thing of you combating that, you being aware and you combating and other people coming alongside to contend for that for you. What is that for you? I know for me right now, it's success and stability. That when I go throughout my week, I find myself thinking and talking to my wife and talking to other people of just like, man, if we could just get a permanent facility as a church, then we'd be successful. Then all these things would shake out. I mean, this morning, we couldn't find our community group board. We couldn't find our uh, in-ear monitors because we meet in a temporary space and apparently there's a, a little person who just likes to hide all these things from us just to frustrate us, right? Like, I don't know. I gotta, it's like putting your socks in the dryer and they just eat them. I don't, I don't know where the stuff goes, right? And it's frustrating. I just think, man, if we just had a permanent facility, then we would be successful. And I think, man, if we just had a certain number of people on a Sunday, then we would be successful. Then I would be successful. And in those moments, that's deceiving. But those are plausible arguments, right? 
Those are easy for me to buy into, and sometimes I do. And I need people, and I need scripture, and I need the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus to invade my heart, to invade my mind, and say, Tim, that's not what matters. That's not what matters. That's not success. That as I look to the wisdom of Jesus, that he says, be faithful in the little. That he says, take up your cross and follow me. That he says, love people well. That you do that, and you'll be successful. I need to be aware of what's deceiving me, of these plausible arguments. And then I need to combat it with the truth of Christ. And then I need to proceed and walk in that. So when I come to church, I mean, I don't care if it's, this room is packed. I don't care if we have a, a permanent facility. I don't care if we have to find all kinds of stuff that we lose because we don't have one. Right? We need to come together, worship Christ, fix our eyes upon him, preach the gospel of Jesus, because people need to hear it, because we need to hear it and be changed by it, that that is success. And I need to do that Sunday after Sunday and week after week, meet with people, plan, strategize, and pray, because that is success. Take up your cross and follow me. And that's where we rejoice, and that's where we get joy, because that is success of how Jesus has designed it to function. What is it for you? What is deceiving you and how does it need to be combated with the truth of Jesus Christ, the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ? And listen, how can you impart that to other people? If you see other people in your life that are being deceived, being deceived by sin, being deceived by comparison and approval and gossip, man, you don't, it's not loving just to let those people wallow in their deception, right? Right? You need to speak the truth and love to them. You need to contend for them and struggle in this deep angst of like, man, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your life. I don't want that for your family. I don't want that for your friendships. And we need to go to those other people. And listen, we don't need to say maybe somebody else will because they won't. Nobody does this, right? This isn't normative in our lives. This is supernatural by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to step out in faith. We need to contend for one another. That's you. That's you doing that for one another today before you leave. And it could be dramatic. It could be crazy um, conversation. Or it could just be simply, how are you doing? How can I help? Those two questions. How are you doing? How can I help? It seems like some things are going on. How can I help with that? Let's go out to lunch. It could be something as simple as that. We don't want to leave people in those deceptive arguments. And then... We see in verse 5 that when we commit to that, when we struggle for one another, we don't just hop around to different communities of faith or different churches. When we commit to partner around this idea, what happens? Struggling turns into rejoicing. Verse 5, look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul started off this section with struggling but now he's rejoicing. You see that? There's a connection between his struggling for other people and his rejoicing for those same people because when you partner with other people in the gospel and it begins to take root and you see that play out, you see people go away from those deceptive arguments, you see people go away from the sin that's in their life, you see people go away from the destruction that's in their life and they turn to Jesus. I mean, there's a joy in that. When you're bought in, when you put yourself out there to struggle for one another, there's rejoicing. Struggling always turns into rejoicing. It may be messy, but you will rejoice when you see the gospel begin to take shape. You won't be able to help it. We're swimming a lot right now as a family. 
because that's how you survive in Phoenix. And my kids are getting really good at swimming. Like, I never thought about this as we moved to Phoenix as the benefit. Like, we're going to have all-star swimmers like little Michael Phelps on our hands. Um, and so we're swimming a lot over the summer, and my six-year-old daughter is getting really good at it. And uh, we just moved into a house, and the first thing we did was went swimming. Like, we don't have any boxes unpacked, but we just jumped in the pool, right? And so we're swimming, and as my daughter gets to be a better swimmer, she's learning that chlorine kind of hurts your eyes, right? And so I go to Walgreens and get the best goggles I could find for like five bucks. And I buy these goggles for our whole family, and we come, and we put them on, and there's nothing fancy they're just Walgreens goggles, and we put these goggles on, and my daughter and I jump in the pool, and we like to swim across one another under the water. And listen, with these goggles, you can see everything. Like Goggles are amazing, right? You can see everything in the water so clearly. And as we're swimming alongside each other, I look over, and I see my daughter, and she's like got this huge, massive smile on her face. Like she just is just swimming like this, and she's just got this huge smile on her face, as big as you can imagine. And listen, she's underwater. Her mouth is wide open. I don't know how much chlorine she ingested. But I'm just like, baby girl, I know you're excited about the goggles, but you can't open your mouth underwater, right? But she just, she couldn't help it. Like I was swimming underwater, and she would be grinning as big as you could see. She was so excited, she couldn't help but rejoice, despite the fact that chlorine was going into her stomach, right? She couldn't help it. Listen, when is the last time that you rejoiced uncontrollably for other people in your life? Not just for material wins, not just because somebody got a new job or had a baby. When's the last time that you got excited, you rejoiced uncontrollably because you saw someone else becoming firm in their faith, growing in their faith at any level. Like whether they just met Jesus or whether they're growing in Jesus, whether they're addressing sin and walking in repentance, whether they just went to a, a community group for the first time. When's the last time that you rejoiced, that you just couldn't help yourself, that all the things in your life, the successes, the failures, the finances, the bills, the physical pain that you experienced, that all those things just dwindled as you began to see the work of the gospel in someone else's life. When's the last time you experienced that kind of joy? And I, I would be willing to bet, if you haven't, that you may not be struggling, that you may be going through the motions in the Christian life, that you may be doing that within our church. But if you're honest, you're just walking through the motions that if you're not experiencing that joy that you may not be bought in, that you may not be contending and struggling for like Paul is describing here. And listen, that's what we want for you. We want to see a faith that blows you away, a Jesus that blows you away, that you struggle, but you also rejoice when you see other people growing in their faith, coming to know Jesus. I remember a few years ago, we were involved in a church plant, and it was really hard. And there was a lot of conflict and drama in the church. There was a lot of conflict and drama in my life. And I remember getting to lead this little girl to Jesus and just to walk her through that process. And her come to faith, right, get rooted in her faith for the first time in her life. And I remember asking her, like, the next day, I just said, Caitlin, this is so great. Like, you know Jesus now. You realize that you know him forever. Like, nobody can ever take this away from you. And she just looked, at, looked up to me and smiled really big, just like my daughter in the pool. And she just smiled, and she said, I know, I've been telling everybody. 
And my heart just sunk, and I just, all this conflict and all these hardships and all this struggle in my life and our church's life. And in that moment, I knew, like, this is what it's about. Like, this is worth rejoicing over. This is why we struggle for one another. We just saw somebody transferred from darkness into light. Like, somebody destined for hell is now going to heaven. Somebody that didn't know their creator now knows and loves him forever. Listen, whether we see crazy stories like that, which we've seen in our church, or whether we see somebody just repent of a sin or come together with their spouse and start reading the Bible, and as they share those stories with you, we need to throw a shower. Like as excited as we get about babies, we need to come around. We need to get excited about that. We need to celebrate that as struggling turns into rejoicing. What does this look like practically for us, uh, for you and your life? And I think first, we want to see us take steps towards contending, towards struggling for other people, towards doing that for other people, and not just saying, who can do that for me? Every Sunday at our church is somebody's first Sunday. Like every Sunday, as I'm at the back, some of you, this is your first Sunday. We want to connect you and care for you well and contend for you in the faith, that you walk in here and you don't have to do that alone. And listen, some of you, maybe you haven't experienced that, and I'm sorry. We want you to experience that here at Phoenix Bible Church. We want you to be connected and cared for. And I do that, but we do that. The beauty of the church plant specifically is that we partner together for this to happen. Otherwise, it does not happen. Like, there's not a paid staff of 10 people who are going to take care of it. Like, it's you. It's me. It's us partnering together. And it's a beautiful struggle that we get to be a part of. And so, man, I just pray and I think about where we are as a church. We're in the middle of the summer. We're nine months in. We're kind of laying low right now. We're doing some leadership training. And as I think about how do we want to develop people now that we have some time to talk about this, I think about what if we had a church where a part of our culture was when somebody walked in new that a lot of people went and talked to them, that people had to complain to me of like, man, your people are way too friendly. Like, you need, to, you need to talk to them about that. Like, I would love to have that problem. And listen, not just because we want our church to grow, but because we have seen Jesus struggle for us, that other people have struggled for you, and we want to do that for others. Because ultimately it leads to rejoicing. It's a beautiful picture of passionate partnership that we don't just inhale, but we exhale. We don't just consume, Listen, there's lots of churches where you can do that. There's lots of those. We didn't plant a church so people could come and inhale and receive great teaching and be fed. Like, that's part of it. But that's not why we're here. There's way more churches in Phoenix that do that. We don't need another one of those. If that's what we're going to be about, we need to close the doors. If we're just inhaling, why do we need to plant a church? There's lots of those already. The reason we're planting a church is because we want an inhale And we want to exhale. And we want to see that take shape in our church, in these walls, but in our community, in our city. As we demonstrate and declare the gospel, as we partner and pray and persevere in this, that we see that begin to take shape. That's why we're planting Phoenix Bible Church. That's why you're here, I hope. That's why I'm here. When we look at the life of our church, when we look at our lives and our relationships with God, We want to see this grand, redemptive story of Jesus through this church that he's writing in this city. And it's just the beginning. We're nine months in. It's just the beginning of him writing this story. And what if 
we began to contend for one another, to struggle for one another, to say, man, I'm blown away by Jesus and what he's done in my life, that I'm going to do that in others' lives. What if we began to do that? Man, I think that would be a church you would want to be a part of. I think that would be a church you would want to invite others into. It's to say, man, they don't have it all figured out. It's messy. Sometimes we lose in-ear monitors, right? But these are a people who love Jesus, who want to lead other people to Jesus, and we want to commit our lives to that. Man, as a church plant, a new church getting started, you are part of a miraculous work of God. Like, I hope you see that. And maybe you're new and you're just like, somebody just brought me today and I just, I just came for the coffee. You need to know you're a part of a miraculous work of God. As we struggle for one another, that's not normal. As we contend for one another in the faith, to see others mature in the faith, people go from not knowing Jesus to knowing him. People go from stagnant in their faith to maturing in their faith. This is the mission of God, the grand story of God redeeming all of mankind. It's happening here. And we want to see more of that. And I hope you want to be a part of that. I hope you want to partner in that and persevere in that and pray in that. I'm excited about what God is going to continue to do in our church as that happens. I just want to close with this. There's a, there's a couple in our church, and um, they came for the first time on Easter. And they came because we, did a, we sent out a mailer, and we posted something on Facebook. And they were just like, man, maybe we'll check this thing out. And uh, I talked to them on Easter, and I was like, hey, how'd you find our church? And they were like, Facebook, this thing came in the mail, and we just thought we'd come check it out. And I'm like, okay, is this something you're familiar with? Like, church, is that something you grew up around? And they're like, no. Um, in fact, we haven't been in church in years. We've been in Phoenix, and our, our lives are just not working out like we thought. And, um, and so they showed up on Easter. Um, since Easter, they've missed one Sunday, and it's because they had a baby. Right, that's more committed than 90% of, the, uh, of Christians in America, right? And they just, they've caught a hold of the gospel, and they're like, man, I've never heard the gospel preached like this. I've never seen people love each other like this, and I want to be a part of that. And they're going to a community group, and they're walking through life with one another, right? And we're seeing that happen. This is the mission, the story of God that we get to be a part of if we'll struggle, if we'll contend for one another. And we'll get to see stories like that, and so many other stories as God writes the story of Phoenix Bible Church, and we'll get to rejoice together. That's what I'm excited about. I hope that's what you're excited about. What if we took a step in that direction today? What would God do? Well, let's pray as we think about that. Father.